Amen. Last I checked, the tomb is still empty. Amen. And Jesus is still alive. And he's here today. And we're so thankful for Cody and the musicians leading us in worship this morning and reminding us of what it means to have a risen Savior and a living Lord. If you have your Bible, open it up with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to begin looking at some of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And I'm entitled the series... Close Encounters with Jesus. These are eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. As we look at each of these, we're going to see how Jesus uh, is taking these tattered and scattered and shattered even disciples and building them back up as a group, a congregation that is going to turn the world upside down in as little as six weeks after the resurrection. That's exciting for me. And that that warms my heart to think about how God can do that. He can take us even when we feel a little bit down and a little bit distraught, a little bit upset and prone to to wonder from Him. Yet He can bring us back and build us up and do amazing things through us. And I know that that's His desire for us individually. And that's his desire for us as a church, as Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. He wants Myrtle Grove Baptist Church to be a congregation, a group of people, eyewitnesses to the resurrection, heart witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus that can turn Myrtle Grove upside down for the sake of Christ. They can turn this west side of Pensacola upside down, turn it over, to tell people about our Lord in such a way that changes them forever and where they are able to have that close encounter with Jesus just like we've had that changes them forever. And so I know that there is this one key element, though, that has to take place. And for all the disciples, as we look at these post-resurrection appearances, this is exactly what they needed. They needed a close encounter with Jesus. And so here's the biblical truth that we're going to see from John chapter 20 this morning. You can't be a witness for Jesus. You can't be a a true witness for Jesus and a powerful witness for Jesus until you've been with Jesus. Amen? We need to be with Jesus in order for us to go out and be a witness for Jesus. And He wants to be near to us. For some of us, we said last week, we've been keeping Jesus at a distance. We've been socially distancing Jesus. But He wants us to be closer than ever before to Him. And so, I wonder, are you closer today to Jesus than you were this time last year? Are you closer today than you were yesterday? Jesus wants you to be close to Him. Mary, that's all she knew how to do. And so we're going to look at Mary Magdalene in the garden this morning. In the garden with Jesus. Beginning in verse 11. So if you have your Bible open to John 20... The first part of John 20 is about the the resurrection and the witness of the empty tomb. And then we look at the second part here and we're going to see the Bible is going to zoom in on Mary Magdalene. So stand with us and let's read from verse 11 on down through verse 18. Okay, if you need to sit down, that's okay. But if you can stand with us. The Bible says in verse 10, the disciples went back to their homes in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. 
And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that He has said these things to her. Let's pray together. Father, for some of us here, Our witness for you has grown a little bit stale, a little bit cold. Father, we need you today to inject some enthusiasm into our witness for you. So that we would go out and share who you are and what you've done to a world that's lost and dying and needs to know you. And Father, we know that that can only happen as we spend more time with You. As we draw closer to You. And so, Father, today, would You convict us of our need to grow closer to You and and spend more time with You. And then, Father, would You open up doors and opportunities for the Gospel as You find us faithful and that we might witness well for You. God, we need You. We admit to you that we need your presence in our lives more than anything else. And so, Father, speak to us now through your word. Encourage us. Show us new and wonderful things. Set our souls and our hearts on fire for you in a way that spreads. It's contagious and reaches those around us. We thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So how close does Jesus want you to be to Him today? How close? Well, first, close enough to feel His heartbeat. Close enough to feel His heartbeat. Look at what it says again about what's happening. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She didn't want to go home. And the Bible talks about how after Moses would go home and he would leave the tent... Joshua, the son of Nun, would stay by the tent. I know some of you, whenever it's time to go home from church, you love church so much that you just stay here. And Ricky has to run you out of this place, cutting the lights off, so you'll leave. And that's kind of the way Joshua was. Well, all the disciples went home after they saw the empty tomb. They're like, well, what happened? We don't know. Let's just go. And so they go back home, and we find them later on hiding and afraid from the Jews. But Mary stood by the tomb. Weeping. 
She's overcome. Mary's in the garden. In the garden of grief over Jesus. It says she's weeping. It's not just crying. There's a different word for that in the Greek. But this word weeping has to do with the fu- what would happen during a funeral. It's deep sorrow and mourning. Uh, and, and I heard a lady one time say she was ugly crying. Uh, y'all know what that is? Ladies, I don't know. Your mascara's running and your nose is running and you can't find a box of tissues. That, that kind of crying. It was ugly. It was bad. And it was probably loud as well. Noisy crying. And, and we know that she's weeping and, 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 and really full of sorrow because the angels ask her, woman, why are you weeping? And they say, why are you doing this? Why are you weeping? Well, the answer to the question, to their question is, Mary had suffered great loss because her Savior had died. And so she was coming to the tomb to embalm Jesus, to, to put spices on the body. She was so committed that she was going to come. This represents the level of commitment that she had to Jesus. Because even after He's gone, she's left her home, she's following Jesus, and even after He's gone, she's going to go back to the tomb for a process that might take weeks to finish to continue to put spices on the body of Jesus so that the so that He doesn't stink. Literally, that's what that's about. She doesn't want Him to smell bad. That's how much she loves Jesus. She's going back and going back and going back and planning to do so. I mean, the Bible tells us that they wondered as they went to the tomb how they were going to get the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. But it didn't deter her. She had planned to do it and to continue to do it. Why? She was serving her Lord from a grateful heart. The Bible tells us that Mary was cleansed of seven evil spirits. Can you imagine a life that was so broken and destitute and bound up in spiritual bondage to seven evil spirits? In the Bible, the the number seven is the number for completeness. She was as messed up as it could possibly be. Her, Her life was broken and shattered and tattered. And now it was even worse because the only hope that she ever knew, the only hope that she had ever found on this earth had just died. She watched Him suffer and die on the cross. And so she was clinging to the only thing that she knew that could help her. The Bible tells us in Mark 16 and verse 9, Now when He rose early on the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And then in Luke 8, verse 2, it says, And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So the Bible makes it pretty clear that she was impacted by Jesus. And that's why she followed him the way she did. I uh, doing some research uh, in, into some women's ministry and looking at some of this. I, I, I compiled a list of seven evil spirits that seem to affect women. And just thinking about this, and maybe some people in the room maybe be 
maybe not even women, but men too are dealing with some of these. But a, a lonely spirit. Just a, a loneliness. A feeling like you're, you're all by yourself. A longing spirit. Envy and jealousy and greed and wanting a better life. Wanting a better husband. Want a lusting spirit. A lazy spirit. A loathing spirit. Hate and bitterness and resentment. A lying spirit. For self-preservation or maybe even gossip. And then a languishing spirit. And I think this is probably what she was dealing with at that moment. Worry. Fear. Toil or heartache. It steals your joy and your vitality, paralyzes your enthusiasm. Some of us today, wherever you are, wherever you sit in the room, your enthusiasm for witnessing and for worshiping and for working for the glory of God has diminished over the past year rather than grown over the past year. And maybe it's simply because you're just broken down and battered and torn by the world around you, the bad news that we continually hear, a bridge that's out that seems like it's never going to be fixed because they keep finding more things wrong with it. Whatever it might be, having to wear a mask when you go into certain places. The political elect, the election and all the political sphere and it didn't go your way, so you're not happy. And whatever it might be, maybe it's family struggles. Maybe you've suffered loss and you're in the garden of grief with Mary Magdalene today. But for whatever reason, your worship and your witness and your work for the Lord has grown stale and you need enthusiasm. Once again, draw close enough that you can hear His heartbeat. Because here's the heartbeat of Jesus. The heartbeat of Jesus, the reason that He was ever in that tomb was for Mary Magdalene. It was for you and for me. Because our life is broken without Him. And we are destined for a sinner's hell. For a devil's hell. If we don't come to know Him. If Jesus never died on the cross, we'd have no hope of resurrection at all. The Bible tells us that He alone is the way the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through Him. And Jesus' heart is for lost and broken people. His heart beats for us. His body bled for us on the cross. The closer that you get to Him, the more you realize how much He really, truly sacrificed for you. And you can hear His heart beat Talking about Mary Magdalene, Jesus said this in Luke 7, 4, 47 and 48. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Somebody say amen. My sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Your sins, which are many, have been forgiven because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And he offered forgiveness. And while he was on the cross, he even said to his tormentor, about his tormentors, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Her sins, which were many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. 
And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. He was forgiven little. And here's the thing. You're either forgiven much or you're not forgiven at all. That's really what Jesus is saying. You all righteous people out there that are looking at Mary and you're looking down on her. You, all of you righteous people out there, the reason you don't get it is because you're not forgiven. But when you're forgiven, you know the heartbeat of God. And His heart beats for you and it beats for every lost sinner that's outside these doors and walls that are walking around, wandering around through this life with no hope and without God in the world. And Jesus is calling us to have a heart that beats like His for them. Man, let that give some enthusiasm to your witness. There was a a low-down, dirty, rebel-rousing, good-for-nothing drunk who lived in Arm, Mississippi. You're talking about, where's Arm? Is that next to Leg? Uh-huh, you know, I always hear that joke. I got, hey, by the way, I want to go to tell you this one because it's, it's, it's hilarious. The county in Arm, Mississippi, it kept this, uh, all of its equipment for doing the road work and all that kind of stuff. And uh, <laughs> there was a gravel a pit. They poured, piled up gravel there, right there in Arm. And so you go to Arm and you pass by the Arm pit. Yeah, okay, that... That's that one's funny to me. Okay, but anyway, this guy, he, he, <clears throat> eyewitnesses said that this guy he was he was so filthy with sin that when he got baptized in the Silver Creek, all the fish in Silver Creek turned belly up all the way to the Pearl River because of sin. But let me tell you about that man. He became one of the greatest witnesses in Lawrence County for the glory of Jesus Christ because he got saved, miraculously, supernaturally saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was changed forever. When people saw him, they said, man, something different, something has changed about that man. He loved much because his sins, which were many, had been forgiven. So secondly, though, we come close enough to heal, hear and feel His heartbeat. But secondly, Jesus wants to draw us even closer than we've ever been, close enough to see His face. To see His face. And so we look at what happens next. And, and she's, she's weeping. And they say, woman, why are you weeping? She said, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid Him. Having said this, Verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. So we stop right there for a moment. When Jesus appeared to Mary, he stood a little distance away. It was probably still not light outside. And in the cool mist of the morning, she did not recognize the face of Jesus. You know, here's the thing about the face of Jesus. The Bible teaches us throughout Scripture that face-to-face with Jesus is exactly the way He he always intended it to be. Amen? He intends us to be face-to-face with Him. Look Look at the garden. What happens in the garden? 
Adam and Eve, after he's created them, the Bible says he walked with them in the cool of the evening. Later on, you see Enoch. What does he do? He walks with the Lord. And he's so close to the Lord, he's walking with the Lord every single day, face to face with his Savior. And one day, they're walking so close to Jesus says to him, Hey, we're closer to my house than yours. Let's just go on. Let's just go on to my house tonight. And it says, the Bible says, Enoch walked with the Lord and was not, for the Lord took him. And then you fast forward a little bit further and you see Moses and what's he doing? He's going in to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And there he's meeting with the Lord face to face. And the glory of the Lord is all over Moses' face so deeply that he has to put a covering over his face in order to go out and talk to the people because the Shekinah glory is still reflecting off of the face of Moses. That's amazing. Face to face. And then let's fast forward a little bit further. What does John say? In John chapter 1. He, he says, we beheld His glory. The one and only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. They got to see Jesus' face. Face to face. Now Mary Magdalene. She's seen the face of Jesus. Jesus spoke a word. And seven demons left her. Forever. They were gone. That face was the face that she lived for every day. That face was the face that she longed to see. More than anything else. So Jesus repeats the question and he says, Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping hysterically, we might say? Calm down. He repeats the question that the angels ask, but then he adds this additional question, which points out the deep longing that she has. And he, he says to her, Whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Listen, that's the question. Listen, that's the most important question for every single believer in the house this morning. If you call yourself a Christian, that's really the question of your life. And if you apply that question to every single aspect of your life, and you answer it honestly, you will grow closer to Jesus every day. If in the morning when you wake up, you say, who am I seeking today? You say, oh, I need to seek my Lord. And you start out your morning by saying, Lord Jesus... I invite your presence into my life. I want to live for you today. If you go to to work and you say, who am I seeking? Paul said, if I were seeking the pleasure of men, the the approval of men, I would not be seeking the pleasure of God. That's what he said. So when you go to work, you need to work with all your might for the glory of Jesus. Whom are you seeking? When you come to church and you feel that pew, you warm that pew that you're sitting in right now, Whom are you seeking? When you go to the bank, whom are you seeking? When you go to the grocery store, whom are you seeking? When you go through life's most difficult circumstances and you're in the garden of grief with Mary, whom are you seeking? Whose face do you long to see more than any other? Is it the face of Jesus? and, And maybe the face of Jesus, just like for Mary, is a little bit fuzzy. The world around you has brought grief and sorrow and despair and hurt, confusion, 
bitterness even into your life. And the face of Jesus seems a little bit fuzzy. How does the face of Jesus become clear? You spend time with Him in prayer. And the more time you spend with Jesus in prayer, face to face with your Savior, the clearer His face will become. You'll be able to go out into the world and you'll see Jesus everywhere. You know, I spend time praying while I'm driving down the road. I need to because some of them people out there make me mad and I want to, so I have to, you know what I'm saying? I have to spend time with Jesus behind the wheel. I don't close my eyes, by the way. That would be bad. But even while I'm riding in my car, I start seeing, I see somebody walking down the road and I'll start, I'll start wondering, what's going on with that person? How did they end up like that? I don't even know. But what I begin to see is the 